and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Intentional Performers Podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thanks for your presence. Thanks for your grace. We really do appreciate you giving us your time, which is probably your most valuable resource. So thank you for being here. If you enjoyed today's episode, it really makes a big difference if you share these conversations. So share it with a friend, send a text to somebody, send an email, share it on social media. The more that you share these conversations, the more our community grows. So thank you all who have already shared these conversations and thanks to those of you that will in the future. Also, if you can go over to iTunes and write us a review, it really does help us as we continue to expand our reach. Now to today's guest. Jesse Cassidy is somebody who I have known my entire life. We grew up not far from each other and had play dates and sleepovers. And I knew his brothers, Ben and Jonathan. And as he's gotten older, we've stayed in touch. And he is a yoga instructor. And he's not just a yoga instructor, as you're going to find out in this conversation today. He's a deep thinker. He's philosophical. He thinks about how he wants to show up in the world. He's extremely intentional. And Jesse is somebody who I've hired to do yoga at retreats that I've hosted. And I've just been blown away about how he thinks about the world and how he engages in the world. And I've also just been amazed and inspired by Jesse as he's opened up about some of the adversity that he's faced throughout his life, some of which I was aware of and some of which I was not. And he's just become somebody who's extremely vulnerable, extremely willing to share his story if he believes that it can help even just one person. And Jesse is a giver. He is a teacher. He loves sharing knowledge and sharing his expertise in both the body and the mind. And in his yoga practice, he brings together the body and the mind in such an incredible way. And he's also got a a lot of really exciting things going on with his business. He's about to open a yoga studio here in Washington, D.C. in the Georgetown area. And Jesse is somebody who is continuing to develop, transform on a daily basis. And I know you're going to love this conversation with Jesse. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you. Jesse Cassidy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is going to be a trip, I think, for both of us. Uh, But I have gotten to enjoy your professional life. Uh, We'll also talk about your childhood because we crossed paths when we were younger. But I've really enjoyed getting to see the adult version of you, uh, the passion that you have for yoga, the passion that you have for impacting people and serving people and helping people. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation. For those that don't know, Jesse has worked a few of my retreats as a yoga instructor, including we do a podcast retreat for podcast guests. And Jesse came up, we have a a mountain house that we do the retreat at about an hour outside DC. And Jesse came up there and I didn't really know how it was going to go. I'm like, hey, Jesse, you seem to be doing some cool stuff with yoga. We grabbed lunch, uh, we chatted, and then Jesse... Uh, did his thing up there. And after Jesse had finished, everybody was blown away. And Jesse gives these amazing hugs and uh, just has such a warm (laughs) spirit. And he actually stuck around and shared some of his story 
uh, at the retreat. And I was blown away because he shared some things that I didn't know about him. And he really made that retreat. And since then, I've had him uh, do some yoga for a number of different things. And uh, everyone that Jesse interacts with on a yoga mat, including myself, comes away, I think, wiser, deeper, uh, more in touch, more aware, more intentional with how they're living their life. So the podcast is called Intentional Performers, and Jesse is certainly somebody who is living intentionally, and I'm excited for him to share his wisdom, his knowledge, and his journey with all of you. So Jesse, I would love for you to give people some perspective on what life was like for you as a kid. Uh, I know your brothers. I knew your dad. Uh, your mom. So give us some perspective on on what life was like for you as we grew up not too far from each other. Sure. Yeah. Um, Such an honor to be on here too. I was, I was actually binging last night, listening to a bunch of episodes. Danny, by the way, is just such a beautiful human, like such a beautiful articulate person. So such a treat to see him last week. Um, But my life growing up was, was, you know, I think it had its ups and downs like anyone else's. Um, I've got two brothers, my favorite people in the world, my mom, um, my father who passed about seven or eight years ago, um, maybe the most most loving man I've ever met. Um, and And I guess the most important thing I can say about my childhood is I was incredibly loved. Um, but I guess... I don't know. Uh, you want some of the, some of the darker, deeper stuff, or talk about love first. So love first, yeah. You were loved by mom and dad. Talk about your brothers, the environment, the, the culture that you were growing up, growing up with. Sure. Um, we moved around a lot when I was little. Uh, at first, we were moving around because of of great success my family was having, and then uh, there's a. Uh, my father had to go away for a while and, and we lost our home and had to move around. My mom was working a bunch of jobs and just doing whatever she could to keep us in, in a really good school system in a safe community. And I was left alone with my brothers a lot who became my best friends. Um, probably not till, till after the age of 18. There was a lot of, a lot of wrestling and, and fighting before that. Uh, but always the, the people I loved the most in this world. So I'm very, very grateful to have had them there with me the whole ride and we're both middle children so what was it like being a middle <laughs> child and i think we're pretty close you're a little closer to your older brother um but i think this almost like two years in between just exactly years. two years yeah we're all summer babies and two years in between um gosh i'm sorry could you could you ask me that yeah again? <laughs> what was it like growing up your older brother's jonathan your yeah. younger brother's ben what was it like being a middle child oh well, uh, middle child, I'm also a Gemini, so I, I think they're they're very similar in the sense that, that you kind of get polar opposites. Um, I got to be an older and a younger brother, and so that was a, a really great, great pr- privilege for me, and it's been neat as we grow up to kind of shift those roles a little bit. Um, you know, the last couple years, my younger brother's really been a lot like my older brother for me. Um, just incredibly supportive, loving human being that I that I look up to a lot, um, and I, I think it's gone gone both ways for for all of us over the years. Um, I think both my brothers were were more into like sports growing up, so I was more into like the clouds and the woods and and playing in the woods and the creek, and uh, so my brothers were a lot closer with my father. And I was always sort of like my, my mother's confidant. Um, and I really like felt very special for that relationship. But I also felt like I was my mother's like best friend and confidant and my brothers were, were her children. Um, but she's like such a saint. Oh my God. To, to raise three boys the way she did that are that are doing things they love is is pretty impressive. What are the qualities that she passed down to you? I think the greatest thing that she passed down to me, um, my father did too. He he never I don't I don't think he ever really like fully understood me, but he really loved me. Um, I think my mom got me. She she understood where I was coming from a lot more, and and the greatest thing she did for me was was encourage me to just do me to be myself um 
and, and she saw me and loved me for me. Um, and I think that's that's sort of what probably got me started on, on this yoga mindfulness path in the first place was um, learning about self-love and self-acceptance. And as much as I wasn't ready to take those lessons from her at the time, she was she was constantly there, like reinstilling that in me. If you could capture your mom's presence in one word, what would it be? Oh man, um, she's just the coolest. She really is. Uh, it's so funny watching her grow, you know, because as we get older, um, the roles reverse a little bit, and. Um, you know, it's funny talking to her sometimes, like, I'll wonder where some of the words that come out of her mouth come from. It's like, how, why are you talking like that? Uh, and I think it's my brothers and I used a lot of profanity growing up. And now she's like, well, what the fuck, Jesse? I'm like, Jesus, mom. Like, what? Um, but she's just the coolest. She's, uh, you know, she's, she's had a, a very, very difficult life. And she's, you know, making, making the best of it. She, she's happy. She goes and she does the things I love. She's out in the mountains. Um, she's hiking. She's going to concerts. She's trying like kirtan and mantra yoga. And and she's seeing a gentleman that's like the older version of me. He's like an old hippie that teaches yoga and plays in the woods. Um, so I think they're having a lot of fun. And, and yeah, I just, I admire her a lot. You talked about looking at the clouds and being outside. And you talked about your brothers being more into sports what was the draw for you when you were younger to just being in the outdoors and, and being involved in that? Um, I think, I think I always, that was, that was where I, I felt, um, something much, much greater than myself. Um, I think sports are cool. I love sports. Like I, I love playing sports. Um, but if you see me at a game, I'm probably cheering for both teams cause I'm just cheering for the best play. Like I just want to see something cool happen. Um, but for me, that's where I, I practice my like bhakti yoga or the the yoga of devotion. Um, I get you know like we get to see our insignificance, like like a tear in a shower or something or, or a grain of sand. It's like I'm I'm awed by the rain and the wind and and the weather and 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 I really, you know, I try to spend as many days a week outside as I can. Um, I still like I hike the same trail that I've been hiking for twenty thirty years and. Uh, some people will be like, why, like, why do you do the same trail? It's, you're just seeing the same thing. And it's like, we, we live in Washington, D.C. We have seasons. It's different every time. And you just have to notice. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that was the big draw for me. Just, um, it was, it was where I, I, I first started to feel some humility, I think. Spirituality is clearly a piece of your being and, and how you operate do you have any religious framework? How do you think about religion compared to spirituality? Is it, I would just love to hear you riff on that. Um, gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I was raised as a reformed Jew. Uh, and we did all the high holidays and we were all bar mitzvahed. And um, I'm very, very proud of my, my Jewish heritage. But I can't say that that I've maintained any, any religious practice. Um, what I, what I can say is that these organized religions, um, you know, do a lot of the same things. They instill a sense of, like, moral and ethical value. Um, and I think that's really important, so I appreciate that. I think, you know, yoga is offering the same things. Um, <clears throat> and truly, all these religions have been practicing yoga for, for thousands of years, whether or not they call it yoga, but uh, a part of every every major religion is meditation and, and that's the true yoga. So, um, it was much easier for me to tune into something like meditation, Raja yoga, um, and start to start to feel more with that than I was from, from somebody telling me about a religion. When we were growing up, yoga wasn't really popular. <laughs> Certainly they didn't have it in high school. And I actually got asked to talk to a yoga class at one of the high schools that we grew up around the corner oh, from cool. Walter Johnson. So they have yoga in the school. Nice. And so yoga has become much more popular and at least from my perspective, more mainstream and become a way to connect the mind to the body. And 
and you see youth now doing yoga. When did yoga come into your world? Gosh, um, I have to say it was about maybe 18 years ago now. Um, I was uh, I spent I, I was up at like two or three in the morning one one night and I was just writing. That was like my greatest passion was writing. I wrote this poem. Um, it was called Ready for Whatever, and it was like it was you know very brazen. Like I'm I'm just ready for anything. And you know it was kind of like very sophomoric at the time. I was 18 or 19 years old and just sure of myself. And I think especially at that time in our lives, we have these moments of like absolute sureness. Like I know everything, I can conquer the world. And then the other side of that where like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Um, and I went mountain biking with my friend, David Ross, you know, David Ross we grew up with him. And we had done this trail the day before. It was super easy and fun. And, and uh, I just got caught up on something and fell over and got thrown from my bike and I got impaled by a tree stump and this tree stump missed my spine by like less than an eighth of an inch and uh, I think I exclaimed like I'll fuck and I think I said it like exactly in that tone um, David stopped and turned around and came back and I picked myself off self up off the ground and he's like are you okay and I was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm just being a baby. And I turned around, and he's like, dude, you have a hole in your back. And we looked down and like, saw this flesh and blood, but it wasn't still bleeding because it was too deep a, a gap. And uh, he rode ahead to try to get to his car. I stumbled out of the woods. I'm like hobbling around in this neighborhood, and this guy drives by and sees me, and he's a really kind gentleman. I never actually got a chance to thank him beyond like thank you as I hobbled out of his car, but he drove me to the hospital. Um, and then from there, I, I was pretty much stuck on my belly for like almost two months. And during that time, somewhere in the middle there, maybe three or four weeks into it, my parents got me a book on meditation called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. And they weren't particularly into anything like that. They just always kind of saw that side of me. And so that was that was very very beautiful the way they were starting to like support my my dharma or my purpose and um so i started reading this book and i would reread these passages over and over again and it started to really help me settle my mind because at, at the time um i've been involved with like drug use and depression and addiction and disease for for many years and within a couple of weeks of sitting with this like traditional Buddhist meditation I was starting to starting to feel a little better and and unfortunately um some of the some of the things I was having an issue with at the time were also what I was being prescribed to manage the pain of of being impaled by a tree stump and uh but a couple weeks after that I I started to get the strength to not need them not and 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 I feel like you know, at first, yeah, I legitimately needed to be on those those painkillers or different opiates for um, for the pain. But then I, I, you know, I liked them, and so I needed I needed that meditation. And a couple of weeks after that, a friend of mine dra uh, dragged me over to a yoga class, and this was like one of the most humbling experiences of my life. I walk in and there's like 30 dancers and they're the most graceful women I've ever seen in my life. And I'm the one man in there and I'm like used to being a pretty active person. I mean, I hurt myself mountain biking. I swam my whole life, played basketball. Um, and they're just cruising around like this flowy dance like thing. And I can barely move my body. And I was like, I, I need more of this. Like I, I needed this piece of humility. I just wrote a poem I'm ready for whatever. And the universe was like, yeah, really? You're, you're really ready for whatever? Um, and so, yeah, a couple, couple more weeks or months into doing yoga, and I was starting to um, manage those addictions and, and depression a little better. And a couple months into that, I was starting to like, get to know myself like beyond whatever, whatever facade I, I had thought I needed to have up for so many years. Um, couple months after that I, I really had 
control over over some of these things and I was starting to starting to not just meet myself but but love myself and and then I was hooked and I uh growing up I like coached and tutored and mentored a little bit and so anything I ever learned I always wanted to share and teach so as soon as I started practicing yoga meditation I was teaching yoga meditation and going and spending time in various yoga communities and ashrams studying and getting certifications to to go feel legitimate about what I really believed in and what I was trying to share and it just stuck was that the first book that you really learned something from or were you a reader before that point oh yeah I um so yeah I didn't I didn't take much to to middle school or high school I was a good student in elementary school but um in high school, I did have a teacher, Mr. Grant. I don't know if he was there when you were there. He might have retired after my freshman year. Um, but this this brilliant man that that somehow like tricked me into loving Shakespeare in ninth grade, and uh, and then I just became this voracious reader. And that same year, I think a, a friend of mine turned me on to um, a brief history of time because especially when I was like fourteen, it wasn't just the clouds and the trees anymore. Like. I want to know about the universe and the stars and the galaxies. So that was a Stephen Hawking book. So I like was obsessed with that. And then the first book I read that like actually changed my life. Um, you probably like even seen the tattoo on my arm. It's uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel um, by a man named Richard Bach, who's just a brilliant author. I think he was writing in the maybe sixties and seventies. Um, but that, that book was, was about, you know, not only being misunderstood, but understanding um, and learning to kind of transcend space and time enough to to just be here now. And I think one of the one of the greatest lines in that book is one of the most simple things in the world. But I needed to hear it, and I need to hear it all the time. Um, one of the main teachers in the book says, "Keep working on love." And that was that was it. That was the book that that started changing my life. So even though you weren't into school, you were into reading. Uh, you were into learning, to growing. Do you think if if you don't go through this accident, you find yoga, or do you think the accident helped you discover yoga? No, I, I think I think I needed the accident for all this to happen. I um, you know, I, I would have continued being like physically active, like playing basketball here and there and hiking all the time and, and mountain biking and just doing active stuff. And I would have continued reading, but I think I was, I, I was a little more, um, maybe pretentious even like I was like, Nope, I'm just reading these classic philosophers because I'm going to know more than everybody. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think, like I said, I needed, I needed those, those accidents and those humbling experiences to, to slow me down and, and, like meet myself where I was really at rather than where I, I wanted to be. And having been humbled by you during a yoga session or by <laughs> whatever exercises we're doing, and Jesse can vouch. She's often telling me, <laughs> right, no, the other leg, no, you need to stretch. You need to do X, Y, Z or whatever. Not, not in that way, much more gracefully. <laughs> um, but I, I think I struggle with, you step into that studio with all those dancers and it's clear that you are the quote unquote least experienced or worst or whatever word you want to attach to it. When I do yoga, it's, it's so hard for me. Uh, My body physiologically is, it's definitely not something that comes natural to me. And to your point, the more I do it, the more I'm like, this is something that I should be doing more because if it's hard, then it's, there's work to be done. And so let's go toward that. But the easier path is to not. The easier path <laughs> is to say, no, I'll go on the elliptical or I'll go on the bike or, or do something that it doesn't humble me the same way. Any idea what in you allowed you, like what, what underneath allowed you to go towards something when a lot of people, they walk in, they see all these dancers and they're just like, I'm never going to be that. So they just maybe go a different direction. Any idea what in you allowed you to go toward it? Oh, gosh. I mean... I think there's a few things I, I can't deny. I was, I think I was 18 years old and I, I didn't hate being in a room full of dancers. <laughs> um, 
but I, I think one of the lessons I, I started to learn through through the stuff I was reading and 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 then practicing and starting to feel on my own was um, such a simple idea that our most essential human need is our breath. Um, so that's going to be the answer to every question. It might not be the full answer, but it's the foundation. It's the beginning of the answer to every question. And when I when I started to actually practice that and actually started to to breathe and recognize that you know it wasn't just the simple science. If we're breathing on purpose, we're bringing in more oxygen to spread to our blood cells and heal and nurture our body. But it was it was that I was learning that my breath was was the key to my ability to feel more. It was the key to my ability to. Um, the key to to my sensuality, um, to not only feel more, but to start to understand more and, and empathize more with with myself and with other people, and and ultimately it was my breath that was the key to be able to soften and and release more. Um, so my life became this breathing practice. It's funny I'm like congested right now and sniffling, um, but yeah, that that was that was the biggest thing. Um, yeah, and it, it still is. You know, if if you ask any of my students, like, what's the answer to every question? Every single one of these, like, thousands of people I've worked with over the years will say, like, breathe on purpose. Is there any downside to focusing on that as the answer or the solution? Gosh, I mean, for me, you know, I, I briefly mentioned, like, depression and addiction. The downside for me when, when I first realized this was... I've I've associated like who I am and my personality with depression and introversion and 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 my writing and my reading for so long that I like I figured out how to how to feel more and be happy and that was that was the downside it was like oh shit I need to stop and I took a break from I was like I'm done meditating I'm done doing yoga I need to I need to hold on to who I thought I was um but no, there's no downside to creating a strong foundation, you know. Um, from what you know about me, I think, you know, I, I haven't always lived in between the lines and, and don't really love following rules a whole lot. Um, but there has to be some structure. Like, you have to have a strong foundation or scaffold in order to be able to build and grow from that and break free from that. So, yeah, no, no downside to keeping it that simple. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with should I let the being lead to the becoming or should I let the becoming lead to the being? So what I mean by that is you hear people say, oh, if I make X amount of dollars, then I can move here or I can retire or if I get this job, then. A lot of if-then thinking. Uh, and I think of that as becoming, like I'll become more and then I'll be compared to if I be, then I can become. And so as I hear you grapple with, you know, reading is becoming right i'm gonna learn more i'm gonna grow i'm gonna get better uh, you know and our society rewards that i mean our society rewards becoming our society rewards growing monetarily uh status uh education we get diplomas um so i'm just curious to hear you riff on this idea of being and becoming oh gosh um you know I hear you. I, you know, I, I haven't lived a conventional lifestyle. I was briefly telling you earlier, I was a school teacher for a little while and was exceptionally poor teaching. Um, Why were you exceptionally poor? Just paid poor? very badly. <laughs> I was living in the district and it was far more expensive to live in the city than, than the money I was making teaching at a private school. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, it never, it never has to be more complicated than, than just be. Um, and that doesn't mean that, that you stop there. Um, it means that, that you meet yourself where you're at and, and you go from there. If you, if you have a goal, cool, put it out there and, and figure out what it is, like get really clear on it, whether, even if it's just happiness. I, I decide I want to be happy. Well, you have to define what that happiness is. And once you define it, you can, you can break down these really tangible little steps to get there. Um, but you can't get there without being first so interesting i there's a whole science of happiness university of pennsylvania studies it and so i've read books on happiness and really tried to get at the core of what happiness is and i've given talks in front of hundreds of people and asked them who here wants to be happy and everybody's hand goes up but as i've continued to evolve i've shifted my focus from happiness to feeling alive hmm. and that shift has been liberating in a lot of ways for me because 
happiness is not something that I think we actually achieve. I think it's a process and it's a journey and we're meant to also feel sadness. The two of us just went to a funeral a week ago uh, for someone that we grew up with. And if I didn't feel sadness, then I don't think that's really what feeling alive is all about. And so emotion and feeling and uh, I think for me, the appreciation of all of those feelings and feeling alive is what I have started to move toward, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because during our time together, I will feel alive. There will be emotions that I feel and there will be things that I learn. And so shifting from happiness to just feeling alive um, has been a game changer for me. And you were mentioning nature earlier. Like that's one of the times I really feel alive. Awe. Like when you're in awe, whether it's watching a sports game, the U.S. women's national team playing soccer. So cool. That was amazing. Awe-inspiring. Or watching um, a musician or going to a concert. Like those are all opportunities to feel alive. And I think so many people get caught up on wanting to feel happy that it becomes daunting and then they feel sadness and then they don't know why they feel sadness. And um, so for me, that's been a big revelation is this notion of can I feel alive yeah and I, I, I'm with you you know I, I, I was talking about sensuality and feeling more it's you know one of the things I'll, I'll tell my students whoever I'm working with um, is is that we're practicing feeling more it's not about feeling good or bad we want to feel more and, and develop a yoga or, or a relationship with those feelings we can't just feel something bad and dismiss it and run away from it or force it um, we have to feel it, and we have to meet meet whatever the circumstances, how we would want to be greeted if we were walking into a party full of strangers. You know, we can't just be like, no, you're bad, get away from me. Um, so part of that being, part of that feeling more is, is embracing the stuff that doesn't feel so good and, and, and finding beauty in that. Um, and then the highs won't be as high and the lows won't be as low. It's like there's only so many things in this life if you're if you're looking at life on this this giant scale, you have one side of the scale that's all the greatest things in the world that actually change your daily life for the better, like literally change your daily life for the better. And I don't know, maybe it's like falling in love, having a baby, dream job, something like that. And then the other side of the scale is all the all the horrible things that change your life for the worse. And I think it's loss and, and tragedy and everything else just kind of falls in the middle. So, so there's no need to really be affected so much by the things that are falling in the middle. The bigger things that tilt the scale, feel them, embrace them, like get, get everything you can from them, indulge in it, even if it's sadness, and, and, and develop an understanding, develop a relationship, and, and, and yeah, just, just practicing feeling more. And again, the key to that's just starting with your breath. Well, it's amazing because... Here you are, you're a yogi. I don't know if you like that term or not, but that's the term I'm going to roll with. Uh, and you found this passion and you're opening up a studio and uh, it's clear that it's given you, what you were saying earlier is you like to go outside the lines, but it's giving you a, a set of principles or some direction as far as where to go. Um, but you, what triggered that was pain, was literally sit, laying there on your stomach, getting into you know, opioids and, and, and all of that stuff. And so that, that feeling led to this opportunity to grow into something and explore something. Um, and you said without that, perhaps you, you would have still been outdoors and you still, but you wouldn't have potentially, uh, found yoga. So I think that's an interesting example. Yeah. My, uh, my, my great, great teacher, um, always says fear and pain can be life's greatest teachers. Um, doesn't mean doesn't mean we we want to spend our lives like basking in them, but they they definitely give us great opportunities to to learn a lot uh, about ourselves and about other people's circumstances as well. And you were talking about right from the beginning when I asked you about your childhood, you said, "Well, do you want the dark stuff, <laughs> or, or do you want the love?" And we focused on a lot of the love, but um, give everyone an idea of some of the the dark spots in, in your childhood as well. Yeah, um, when I was uh, when I was about five years old, I I think maybe nine nine months of my life, I was uh, I was getting sexually abused, and that 
that wasn't by a family member or anyone close to my family. Um, I was very loved, had a wonderful family. Um, but that was something that I think led to very early on depression and addiction and, and eating disorders and, and just bad self-image um, and, and just not accepting myself at all for who I was. And that was something that I held on to. I, I, didn't, I don't even think I mentioned that to a single soul until I was maybe 27. So like, I don't know, 20, 22 years after it happened. Um, and, and when I did finally have that conversation, that I feel like I don't, I guess my initial my initial reaction was like I, I feel so bad for for the boys that were doing that um, to me like the, the older kids that were doing that because I can only imagine what they were going through that that made that okay to to do to to a five year old boy um, and and I I just never really I never felt any support around it but I also didn't have a relationship with it like this horrible thing happened and and that was just my secret I was holding on to for decades um and so I think that probably led to a little more introversion and, and a little more of the middle child syndrome that that would have showed up anyway um and you know I I, I was I was listening to Dr. Maya Angelou speak and she said something that, that really resonated with me that I thought was so beautiful. And she's like, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of dark clouds, but there are rainbows in my clouds. And uh, I feel the same way. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so, so fortunate and blessed to have the people in my life that I do, um, to have the opportunities that I do, that, to have the opportunity to pick myself up so many times. Um, and I've had lots of, lots of rainbows in my clouds. So, uh, yeah, some, there's some heavy stuff, but there's so much, so much goodness too. When did gratitude start to enter your, your existence? When did gratitude start to become something that you focused on? Hmm. When did gratitude start to become something I was focusing on? Um, you know, growing up, I, I liked to write a lot and want to like, before I started like thinking I was writing things of great depth. I was, I was writing like a lot of, a lot of rhyming poetry. And like one of my favorite poems that I wrote was Gratitude's the Attitude. I think I just like felt it one day and, uh, and, and thought it was a, a smart rhyme at the time. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You're good. Um, but, uh, and and I think you know I've always had this idea of gratitude in the back of my head. Um, my my uncle's an old deadhead, an old fan of the Grateful Dead. So at an early age, he was sharing with me tapes and stuff. And as I as I was getting older, I, I started to learn more about them and and the community and counterculture and 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 what I noticed. And and this is like this great similarity between um, yoga and the Grateful Dead is that. They're these two incredibly proactive, accepting, loving communities that are all about healing and feeling and, and perpetual growth. Um, and there's this great story that goes along with how the Grateful Dead got their name. Uh, I guess there, there's this adage um, that they found in the dictionary that it's this tale of a, a man traveling along um, on this great quest. And on his way, he comes across this dead body being either just not buried or mistreated um, because of whatever debts the, the dead man owed. And uh, the traveler, like, pays his debts or gives him a decent burial and goes about his way on his quest and comes across this, this really, really arduous task. And, uh, and then there's this man that just shows up to help him accomplish this, this great feat and, and the quest he was on to begin with. And, and that was the Grateful Dead. That was the man who, who, had, who he had buried that, that came back to, to help him through. Um, and, and reading that at, I don't know, 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, like, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. It was like, yeah, gratitude. Gratitude's the attitude. <laughs> you don't even have to be around anymore to look after people. Um, so I think, like, 
a, a lot of the work that I'm that I'm doing here now is is doing my best to create like a safe and and sacred space for people that they can feel vulnerable because all the greatest things in our lives lives come through a space of vulnerability, falling in love, making a baby, whatever whatever it is, um, creating a safe sacred space for people to feel that, um, and and. And really, just get a chance to to heal and grow. But you've already ex- explained two dark moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't even say moments because they were more <laughs> than moments. Um, any idea what inside you allow you allowed you to go more towards gratitude rather than anger, or was anger also part of uh, the the scenario? Gosh, I I don't think that I. I mean, I'm sure I've gotten angry before. Like, I've had relationships that weren't always smooth and easy, and I've gotten angry before. But I don't think I really experienced, like, true anger in, until Trump got elected, to be honest. That was, like, that stirred up a lot of anger in me that I didn't even know was there. Um, how could, you know, how could how could so many people see this person that, like, has no respect for human rights and, and still want him to be in office? And, and that, like shook me to my core it's like I'm out here like sharing what I really truly like love and believe in and and trying to trying to help people um and then and then we give power to this person that just doesn't care about anything I believe in um so that was that was hard I think that you know that was only a few years ago that I started experiencing that sort of anger but Jesse you would understand from an outsider's perspective it's like okay five-year-old you sexually assaulted you have this experience with a tree stump we haven't even gotten to another part in your life which i'm sure we will like these are very much personal moments and personal pain and i understand your thoughts on trump but he doesn't change literally how you walk right or how you move right or the inner you, the way that those would change. So I'm just curious as to why or how those didn't impact you as much as the president getting elected. Oh, you know, I, I think they they severely impacted me. It just wasn't with anger. Mm. So what um, was it with? Well, I, like, like I alluded to, um, I, I started having eating disorders at a very early age, um, depression at a very early age started doing drugs when I was 12 and perpetually getting worse through my early 20s um so I was I was greatly affected by those things but it wasn't it was never anger you know I I don't maybe it wasn't a conscious thought that I had until I was 27 but at 27 it was like empathy for these people that hurt me it wasn't it wasn't anger like fuck them it was like I, I I wonder like what suffering they had to go through um and yeah losing you know not being able to be mobile for a couple months was <laughs> there there was just no nothing nothing to be mad about it was like I got thrown off a bike and uh those were my circumstances and i think you know maybe maybe yoga's the thing that came along and allowed me to I don't know, try, try to embrace life with a little more intentional grace. Um, okay, this is my circumstance. I maybe didn't get to choose it, but now I get to choose how I show up here. Um, and, and honestly, I look at those things as a blessing. Like that, w- Without having those experiences, I don't know that I could have empathy to the, to the level I do. I don't, I don't know that I could connect with as many people as I connect with and, and help people heal and grow if if I hadn't experienced those things. So in a sense, like I'm I'm here, I'm alive, I'm I'm whole or as whole you know, as whole as somebody that's still doing the work can be. Um but it but it gave me an opportunity to to serve my purpose, to to help other people. It's beautiful. Uh, and it's just an awesome takeaway for everybody because everyone goes through something and the perspective that you have is inspiring. Um, it is. Thank you. And I'm curious if, if we could just dive into addiction a little bit. And 
sure. your perspective on that because you know you go through this trauma when you're five, and so it's hard to know how much that impacted you. Um, and so I'm curious how much of what you've gone through with addiction is physiological, mm. how much is psychological, mm. um, how much is a result of what has happened to you. Um, have you given that much thought and uh, I would just love to get your thoughts on, on your relationship with addiction. Wow. That's a, you know, that's a, a great question. I think truly, I, I think those things like addiction and disease and disorder and abuse don't necessarily ever go away. It's not like this magic thing that you get to do and, and they're gone. Um, I think there, there are things that you have to develop a, a yoga or a relationship with so you can have some understanding around them and, and then choose to manage them to the best of your abilities. And that is never an easy thing, but nothing worth our while really ever comes easily. So, so even with addiction, um, we have a choice. We, we do. It doesn't, it's, it's not going to be easy, <laughs> but, um, but you know, we, we get to choose to show up for ourselves and yeah. And, and that, that changes, that fluctuates. It's not like every day I feel like I've got all the control in the world over, over my addictions. I don't, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, this one's kind of silly, but like I have a horrible chocolate addiction. Like I almost can't go through a day without eating chocolate. Um, and I could, I could, I could will myself out of it. I know I have a choice. I don't have to like force myself out of bed at 10 at night to eat a piece of chocolate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think some of us unfortunately are, are born with a predisposition for addiction. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that you're addicted to one thing. Addiction's addiction. Um, and it, and it manifests over time in different ways. Are you addicted to yoga? No, <laughs> I don't think I am. Um, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to use yoga uh, to to save myself, probably from myself and and from circumstances over the years. Um, but I don't think I'm addicted. I, I think the the thing about yoga and and it's a common misconception is yoga is what's what's happening on a yoga mat and. That's like a really nice, sweet part of it, but it's like a sixth of the puzzle. Um, yoga's yoga's the, uh, a lifestyle. It's it's a way of intentionally being. So it's so neat to be to be on your podcast, intentional performers, because you know, yoga is this great practice of of being intentional, of doing things on purpose. Um, and that's you know that's why you get so many things called I don't know goat yoga or. Um, paddleboard yoga or acro yoga like you can call them whatever you want if you're doing it on purpose it's yoga so you, people go for yoga walks and we have yoga meals and um you know it's just about slowing down and just being not not like i'm gonna eat this for sustenance to become healthier it's just like i need to be here and have this experience in relationship with what i'm ingesting and putting in my body and um so yeah, yeah, yoga is just this great, great practice of doing things on purpose. I, I don't think you can be addicted to it. If, but there is, I, I was reading something about. I don't, I forget the name of it, but it's, um, it is, it's, it's some sort of exia. It ends in exia or something like that. It's, it's like over addiction to working out. Um, I, I yeah, don't remember the name, but uh, no, I, I don't feel like that's been a problem for me. One of the things we talked about earlier is. Uh, there's people that you know that, that you teach that have relationships, addiction in their past. Are there, is there any evidence that you know of that the act of yoga, and, and I'm talking about really like in a studio doing the work that you do, is an outlet or is healing uh, for addiction? Yeah, and you know, absolutely, hundred percent. As long as you don't let that become an addiction, like you, like you brought up yourself, um, you know, everything in, in moderation. And there was this great, brilliant guru named um, Swami Shivananda, that said, was it him or Swami Satchidananda? I don't know. I'll have to sit with that for a minute. But he said, anything that you're doing is, as long as you're not hurting anybody, including yourself, it's it's all right. 
Um, and so tradition as a yogi traditionalist, um, we're only supposed to practice six days a week, the physical practice. Um, so we take a day off, but I mean, I, I've, I've been given far much more credit than I deserve over the years. Like I've, I've had people come in and tell me that I got them through their cancer and got them through their addiction. And I've had professional athletes come and be like, that's the hardest workout I've ever done in my life. So like, uh, yeah, I, I think yoga is this, this wonderful heal all almost. It's not like you can't call it a cure all, um, because that just doesn't exist, but, but taking the time to slow down and breathe on purpose and 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 really feel what's there um is always going to be healing and if we're breathing on purpose that's simple too you know we okay we have like we all have our 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 chemical balances in our body balances and balances but the breathing thing like we talked about earlier that that's simple you bring in a higher percent of, of oxygen and you're healing your body um so yeah, you know, do do the physical yoga for for any any healing you need. Do you have a meditation practice that you use outside of the yoga? Sure. Um, yeah, there's there's so many countless forms of meditation. I'm not I'm not going to say one's better than another. Um, you know, I I practice primarily anapana meditation, which means as it is, um, and it's or vipassana meditation. It's a process into vipassana meditation. Um, which is the meditation that Gautama, the Buddha, was doing. And, and really, you know, no, nobody has to figure out how to meditate. Close your eyes and breathe. You don't even have to breathe on purpose. Just close your eyes and breathe. And notice the quality of your breath. And, uh, and it'll change, and that's okay. It'll oscillate. My teacher always says we're, we're oscillatory beings in an oscillatory universe. So, so things change, and that's okay. And, you know, if you can only sit for... 12 seconds with your eyes closed that's great next time try for 13 seconds and you know there's this this great buddhist expression you just aim yourself in the right direction and keep moving forward um you know we 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 always have to start at the beginning we, we never start at the end you've said i have this teacher i have this i follow this guru so you're obviously mm. still learning growing yeah. how do you how do you balance the idea of people are coming into your studio to listen to what you have to say sure. and the power or control that comes with being in charge of a room and how do you blend that with the beginner's mind going back to what you talked about earlier well i think um you know the maybe one of the most important parts of being a, a good teacher is being a good student um so really perpetual studentship is is, is always important we have to keep learning we have to you know, so much of what we're doing, especially in the physical practice of yoga, is finding whatever our point of resistance is, like finding our edge, um, where any more would be too much and any less wouldn't be enough. And then we breathe into that space, and just by breathing, we notice that point of resistance shift and change. Um, you know, my my teacher, um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, when as soon as we made eye contact, like, he welcomed me into his home and into his life, and... Um, brought me out on all types of retreats and trainings and, and, and made it very easy for me to be a perpetual student. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's a tremendous responsibility to, to hold a space for, for a large group of people. But I think one of the great lessons I got to learn from, and, and you know, I say my teacher, but I, I had like a decade of wonderful teachers before I met the Johnny Cast, the guy I mostly refer to as my teacher. Um, and and I think there's there's just so there's so many. I think the big thing is is just having that that piece of humility we were talking about in the beginning. There's so much like so many beautiful people out there with so much great stuff to offer, and. In, in my opinion, all they have to do is, is have a foundation, and the foundation's simple. You breathe, you, you embrace this life with, with a sense of humility so there's no room for you to judge yourself or each other, um, and, and, and you, you navigate as best you can with intentional grace, and, I, and, and these, are, these are things that I, I continue to learn, whether they're from my teachers or experience, uh, experiences I've had on my own, it, you have to keep coming back to learning. If you're comfortable sharing, I'd love for you to talk about um, what happened to you more recently 
And I'm especially amazed because you just said something about judgment and not judging people and not judging yourself. How do you, how do you not judge people when they do something awful? Um, like, how do you compartmentalize that? And uh, perhaps you can also give the listeners some insight into what I'm referencing, but, um, you know, perhaps give them the insight. And then if you could chat about the judgment piece. Sure. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I went to meet a buddy down by the river. Same, same David from the mountain biking accident. Poor, poor fucking David, dude. Every time something horrible happens to me, he's, he like has to show up and, and, and just be there. And he's, he's such a sweet man. Um, but so I, I got there before him, car pulled up, it was like 1030 at night and, and pitch black by the river. And I assumed it was him. So I got out of my car and the next thing I knew somebody had me like pinned up against this wall. Um, couldn't really see anything. He like asked me what I was doing there. And the next thing I knew he like hit me in the face with a hammer, um, pushed me over the wall and pinned me on my belly and kept hitting me in the head, neck and back with this hammer. Um, and it eventually stopped. I guess uh, the police said they found the hammer, nobody's DNA but mine on it. Um, but I guess their assumption was it just flew out of his hand and, uh, and that's when he left. Um, and you know, the, the, the easy answer to your question is, well, I'm alive and I have my faculties about me. Like, um, but do I feel like I, I maybe maybe lost some things in, in that experience too. Absolutely. Um, forgiveness or non-judgment and acceptance. I, I don't know, you know, nobody, nobody was arrested. So I don't, I don't know for certain, like what that, what happened. Um, do I, you know, I wish I, I wish I was like on the monastic path. I wish I was like a monk or a saint and I could, I could say that I don't, don't pass judgment ever, but I, you know, I, I do like anybody else. Um, I just, I just keep trying to practice relearning those lessons over and over again. Um, and as far as, as far as that experience goes, um, it's the same thing. Like, obviously there's, there's some great suffering on that side. You know, I, I feel like you hear this expression all the time, like, just be kind to people. You don't know the suffering of the person sitting next to you on the bus or on the street. Like, we, we've all got our shit. And, uh, you know, to, to, to suppose that our shit is worse than somebody else's is, is a little um, naive, I think. And, uh, you know, so, so sometimes bad things happen. And, and, and then, you know, there's, I don't want to get too ethereal about it, but then there's the whole, like, karmic side of it. Um, I haven't always lived, like, a perfect, I don't live a perfect life now, you know? Um, I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can. But, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the karma we experience in this life is karma from a past life. So, so there's no, and, you know, again, I won't get too ethereal on that one. Um, but one, one great lesson we can learn is, is to nurture the seeds of karma that we plant. Um, we can be intentional about it. We can, we can do it on purpose. And we don't have to backtrack to any, any unfortunate circumstance in our lives. It's just right now, right in this moment, we can, we can plant some new seeds and nurture them the way that we would nurture a plant. You know, give it, give it love and kindness and, and support. So I'd love to give you an opportunity to plant some seeds and the way in which I'm going to do it. And first of all, I know that none of that trauma is, I'm sure, easy to talk about. So thank you for being vulnerable and, and willing to share. Sure. Five-year-old you. It's, this is, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old, so it's very real. Uh, if you knew a five-year-old that went through what you went through, what would you tell that five-year-old? Fuck, that's that's like a real question. Um, what would I tell that five-year-old? You're loved. It's not your fault. You never have to talk to me, but I'm here to listen when you're ready. Um, 
It's not your fault. Yeah. 19 year old version of you is in the hospital laying down. What would you say to him? You've got a lot of shit to work through right now. This is probably the greatest thing that could have ever happened to you. Stay here. And I don't know, how old were you when you got attacked? Uh, just a couple years ago. Um, I guess it'll be two years ago in September, so I was 34. 34-year-old you? Mm-hmm. What, what would you say after, once again, you're in the hospital and, and dealing with that? Keep working on love. Awesome. And the last thing I wanted to unpack with you, which is personal, and, and we were talking about it before we fired up the mics, is addiction. And we've talked about it in different capacities over the last hour. But so many people in this world struggle with it. And so many people in this world know friends or family that struggle with it. So is there any thoughts that you have for those who are struggling with it or those that know somebody who might be struggling with it? Um, Well, first, first, I guess I'll, I'll address the people that know people that are struggling from it. Um, listen, don't, don't just, don't just nod your head and smile. Um, you know, uh, there's something called empathic listening. Um, listen to, to really understand the subject and, and really feel the feelings, um, of the people around you. Uh, we were talking earlier about energies, you know, and I was saying, you know, I don't, I don't even really ask people their name very often because I'm, I'm going mostly off whatever energy um, I'm picking up, um, but it, it's it's so so important, such an essential human need for us to to be heard. Um, so please listen with 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 all your senses, not not just your ears. And um, there is hope, there is support, um, but it's not going to be easy. And and you know, true true love. True love is selfless love. Um, so if it's somebody that you love, I think you know how to be there. Um, and if you if you don't, like call me. I don't know. I'm around. I I, I just want to help people. Honestly, my I think it, be, it became clear to me like 15, 16 years ago. Like my my dharma, my purpose is is to serve other people. And um, so yeah, come come do a yoga class. Come go for a walk, you know, there's, there's always support there. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid of the repercussions of reaching out. I know a lot of people don't offer support to other people because they're afraid of that person being mad at them for, for trying to get them support. But let's, let's try to keep people alive instead of worrying about how upset somebody's going to be. Um, and, and for people that are suffering from addiction themselves, um, give yourself a break. Uh, slow down a little bit. It, it, you know, no, there's no, there's no cure all. Um, but try breathing on purpose. Like literally, try breathing once or twice on purpose. Like I, I think every adult I know talks about wanting to learn how to relax, and you know that's that's the big key. Like <laughs> breathe on purpose. It calms the nervous system. You relax. So. Um, and, and I don't think a lot of people do that, even even five times throughout the day. So slow down, take a deep breath, and and don't be afraid to ask for help. I think, you know, one thing all of us experience in this life is is rejection. And that can hurt a whole lot, especially if you're you're reaching out for support. But it's just a thing. It just, you know, rejection exists. Like, just because one person that you think should be there for you isn't, like, keep reaching out. There's nothing to be too proud about. Um, people want to help. You know, there there are people that want to help, and if it's not the people that you're closest to, then you know, maybe they're not the right people to offer that help at this point. But um, don't give up on yourself. I think that's a beautiful place for us to start winding down, and before we. And I want to go back to some lightness. And uh, you are opening up a yoga studio yeah. any day now. <laughs> and 
Um, so let people know where they can find you on social media. I know you post some cool videos, but also where they can come and do some yoga with you if they're in the Washington, D.C. area. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm opening, opening up a studio, a studio in Georgetown called Uprising Yoga Center. It's on O Street in Northwest. Um, it's really just, an, uh, to me, the, the greatest thing about it is creating a space to give other people opportunities. Like next week, we're doing an open mic night um, for musicians and artists and authors to come and just share what, whatever it is they love and believe in and are passionate about um, so, so people can be heard. So yeah, I'm opening up this space as, as more of a community center than a yoga center. Um, and if you're interested in learning more, uh, check out the website. It's www.uprisingyogacenter.com. You can find my personal Instagram, The Grateful Yoga. And my business Instagram is Uprising Yoga Center. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So Jesse, I want to end this by the same way we began it, which is uh, just thanking you for your grace, thanking you for your intention, thank you for working my body and, and getting me uh, to explore parts of me that I don't always explore. And when I first brought you in and hired you for our retreat, I, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to take place, and it was pretty. Uh, it wasn't soon after that you started going that I was really grateful to have you there and then the response. So anyone that uh, wants to learn more about Jesse, they can always reach out to me as well. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And then our website is intentionalperformers.com. And uh, you've just been, it's, it's so awesome seeing you um, at this point in your life. And I'm really happy for you. Um, I'm happy for all that you're doing and um i'm happy for you stepping into uh what you're supposed to be doing which is helping people and, and doing it through the vehicle that you know how to so uh props to you and looking forward to doing much more yoga at the studio and, <laughs> and you shifting my body around and, and maybe there'll be some transformation for me in the future as well so jesse thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you brian such a such a treat such an honor Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Such a simple idea that our most essential human need is our breath. Um, so that's going to be the answer to every question. It might not be the full answer, but it's the foundation. It's the beginning of the answer to every question. And when I, when I started to actually practice that and actually started to, to breathe and recognize that, you know, it wasn't just the simple science of we're breathing on purpose, we're bringing in more oxygen to spread to our blood cells and heal and nurture our body, but it was, it was that I was learning that my breath was, was the key to my ability to feel more. It was the key to my ability to, um, the key to, to my sensuality. Um, to not only feel more, but to start to understand more and, and empathize more with, with myself and with other people. And, and ultimately, it was my breath that was the key to be able to soften and, and release more. 